0: Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. All afternoon, we would sit on the beach, and the women were all Harvard wives, and some of them had PhDs, but they accepted me immediately. Do you want to know why? I'll tell you. Books. They saw what I was reading on the beach, Tom Stoppard and Flannery O'Connor and William Styron, a book a week. So we talked books. We all had our big opinions. We argued and we shouted and it was wonderful. Best call, nobody will tell you this but me. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, I'm joined by members of The Bookshelf staff to talk about our favorite books of 2020. Olivia and Lucy are back and here to help us close out and reflect on this year in literature. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Okay, so we are doing our top five. Each of us are going to do our top five. We're going to do what we did a few weeks ago for holiday book recommendations, and we're going to kind of round robin this and each state our top five of the year. Olivia, You said you had a little bit of difficulty doing this. Why don't you tell the (laughs) listeners your process for narrowing down to your top five? Quite a
1: bit, actually. (laughs) Um, So I keep a little book where I write down every month what books I've read. So I started by just going through that and like just writing down ones that like stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. then I narrowed it down to ones that like I still thought about. And then that was like 13. And then I numbered them one to 13, and then just took the top five from there. But it, okay. was, it took me like almost all last night. <laughs> it was
0: your, it was it was your after work activity. It was more yeah. work. <laughs> I found
1: myself doing like a March Madness type thing that you do where I was like, but oh, would I rank this book over this book? <laughs> yeah. It was I love it.
2: <laughs> love it. Lucy, what was your process? Um, it was, you know, this was a year for me. This was a year for my reading life. This was um, not as hard for me as it was for Olivia because the, the total number of books was significantly less than Olivia's total number of books that I read.
0: Um, to be but, fair, you had a baby and a move and right. yeah, there's a lot happening.
2: The, uh, the baby was the main thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, every night, just, you know, don't feel bad for overworking me or anything, but every night I'm like working on the emails and I'm like, when will I ever get to my book? And then I get to my book and I'm like, it's, I'm, it's time for sleep. So it's bedtime. Uh, yeah. Um, but I rely on incredibly good books to really make me read them. Do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like you fight, if there's a book you want to read, you find that time. And so, yeah. um, I have plenty of those that happened this year, which is why I got any reading done at all. Yeah. You found the good ones. (laughs) That's right.
0: I came up with my list, I guess, similarly to Olivia. I don't keep a book. I actually just go back through my Instagram and kind of see, like, what did I read this year? Because January feels like another decade ago, like truly feels like a different life. Mm -hmm. And it always does like, to be fair, it always does feel like January was a long time ago, but this year, especially. So I went back and kind of made my, I think I wound up having 12 or 13, like Olivia did, and then narrowed down from there. And I really wanted, i tried hard. I wanted books that I really did enjoy, Books that affected me emotionally, and books that made me think. So like those were kind of my three criteria because there were some really good books I read this year that just didn't make their way into the top five or top ten. But all of the ones we're going to talk about today like made me feel something because <laughs> twenty twenty is a year in which I think sometimes the emotions got pushed down to the very bottom, yeah. like I'll worry about you later. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then we'll books helped about that one <laughs> yeah and the books kind of helped me be a, a more emotionally healthy person so, <laughs> uh it's fine okay Lucy why don't you start us off well let's do I don't know if you guys like ranked them five to one but if you did yes. let's start with five
2: I kind of did and also I think it it works out chronologically as well like when they came out oh interesting oh, <laughs> Look at that, okay, um, so my first one i I uh, struggled between two <clears throat> books for the number five spot, but I think I'm choosing the Book of Lost Friends by Lisa Wingate. um, hmm. I don't know if either of you ended up reading that. I think I did no. not I think I was already gone when I well not gone from <laughs> yeah, I guess I was gone from the store by the time January started, <laughs> that, um, so I maybe uh, didn't talk about it a ton, but um. It's, it's really good. It's, it's my most classic historical fiction book on my list, um, where I think people who like to read, you know, like your typical World War II kind of romance, female lead, uh, historical fiction books would like this one a lot. It's two intertwining stories. And one of them takes place, um, in, almost modern times. I think it's like a two thousands at least. Um, but one of them is the story of this, um, freed slave, who's a sharecropper on her plantation that she used to be, um, enslaved at. And she kind of goes on this adventurous story and she ends up looking for all of her family members that she was separated from throughout the book. Lisa Wingate puts in these actual, Um, historical documents, their advertisements for people who were looking for um, family members who had, they had been estranged from because of um, slavery. And they uh, were published in this uh, book that um, was called the Book of Lost Friends. And it was, um, they advertised them all throughout um, different small churches, uh, especially in the South. Um, And so if you were looking for you know, a, a number of them wouldn't even know what their current names were mm-hmm. or, you know, they but they would um, give as many details as they could and say they're looking for their daughter who was sold when she was two or they're looking for their sister or whatever. Um, and so that was really touching. And I also really loved the way Lisa Wingate, um, she stays Throughout um, time, the time connection is not a person like a grandchild or something like that. The time connection is a place. So the place in the modern day um, story is the place where the freed slave eventually settled. And so you Hmm. see uh, um, like the historical um, lasting consequences of slavery in that place and the um, people who are living that out. I just thought it was a really interesting Uh, viewpoint, really well-written. It's an adventurous story, so it keeps your attention. Um, So my fifth book is The Book of Lost Friends.
0: I love the sounds of that. I really like how she tied in true historical documentation. I think that sounds fascinating. Mm -hmm. Olivia, what about your number five?
1: All right. My number five is uh, Crossings by Alex Landrigan. And this one was one that I just kept toiling with because I was like, is it in my top five, but then because it kept beating out other books, just purely because of the way it was set up, it was so unique. Um, it won number five, but crossings by Alex Landrigan is a book that's written in three separate parts. Um, but you can read it either in order like you would a normal book, or you can go by the Baroness's sequence, which kind of jumps around throughout all three books, and it weaves them together really well, in my opinion. I have not read it front to back, so I would be interested to hear how that goes. but i don't I don't know that the stories would connect as they did when you jump back and forth between them. Yeah. Um, but it was so well done. It was it started out on this little, Pacific Island in like the 18th century where this community of people have figured out how to cross bodies so they can cross into another body and kind of take their consciousness. Um, and these two soulmates that were on this Island when this like French trading ship came, they got split up and the one man made a crossing that he couldn't remember himself in the other person's body. So this book is essentially like this woman trying to find her soulmate through centuries and like hundreds of crossings. And I think when I try to sell this to people, it almost sounds like a little too too high fantasy in a way, but it's really not. It's really accessible. And it's this like noir romance slash kind of also thriller because the way he set it up, it's just so compelling. It just pulls you through the book. Um, but it was so well done. Like I kind of relate it to Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle just in that I would love to see how he set up this plot. Um, I think it would be really interesting.
0: Did we talk about is this would this be good for people who like outlander for some reason some of this plot sounds like outlander to me is it that it goes back and forth i don't know i just wonder if people who liked outlander might like it
1: yeah oh totally people who loved outlander would really like this um because it has that like centuries romance drama happening but it's also it's also a thriller in in its own form too it was really well done
0: Okay, my number five, I do. You guys are so good at laying out the plots of the books you read. And meanwhile, I'm like, what were these characters' names? I truly don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And I, so I'm like, oh gosh, okay. But this is my book number five. And I will be able to tell people what to compare it to. And at least I'll tell people how it made me feel. I may not be able to remember the deep plot details anymore, but that's okay. Okay, my number five is A Burning by Megha Majumdar. I picked this one because it was a book that I distinctly remember where I was when I finished reading it. It was, I don't know why, but weirdly, a day where I was either working the store alone or working the morning alone. And so I had gotten there early and instead of working, which is what I normally do, I decided to finish this book because I loved it so much and I was anxious to finish. And after I finished, I was like, well, this was a mistake because now I have to work and I feel a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) and and now I have to face the public. Um, So Megha Majumdar takes three despite the fact that I cannot remember all their names, takes three very memorable characters <laughs> and weaves the, their stories around a couple of distinct events. So I really compare this to They're There by Tommy Orange. In the way that Tommy Orange is dealing with gun violence and indigenous people and and what their lives look like today, this book is dealing with I think a lot in terms of politics and media and wrongful incarceration. And the three characters at the heart of the book are vastly different from one another. But you and you aren't quite sure how they relate until you're about halfway through the book. I loved it. I love the alternating voices. And I loved that this book certainly had something profound to say about, like I said, media, wrongful incarceration, politics, but also it was just a really good story, really well written with uh, characters and a storyline that I won't be able to forget, again, just the gut punch of how I felt when it was over and the desire. It was one of those books that I finished and I thought, I need to talk to somebody about this. Like, I need to share this with someone. And a few months later, actually, my dad read it on my recommendation. And so he and I were able to talk about it a little bit. And so that's my favorite kind of book is the kind that I feel like sharing and the kind that I want to talk about with somebody else. So my fifth book was A Burning by Megha Majumdar. Lucy, what about your number four?
2: Okay, my number four is my only nonfiction book on my list, and it's The Address Book by Deirdre Mask. Um, I sent this out as a shelf sub, and one of the reasons why it made it on my top list as a nonfiction book is because I think it's one of those nonfiction books that everyone will like. Um, so, you know, if you get an American Civil War book, you're like, okay... My dad might like this, my cousin might like this, but my sister won't like this. Um, mm. But I feel like the address book is for anyone that will tolerate nonfiction. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just fascinating. Um, it's a bunch of different series of essays, like each chapter is on a different topic. Um, but it's about our addresses, and all the uh, almost hidden struggles um, surrounding them. It's one of those interesting books where you um, the description of it sounds pretty boring. <laughs> but while you're reading it, you're like, I can't believe how interesting this is. Um, <laughs> I gave this to my mother-in-law and she absolutely loved it. She's, we were just talking about it the other day. Um, so she still remembers it many months later. Um, just... Uh, very well written to, easy to read, uh, really, really good nonfiction pick. The Address Book by Deirdre Mask.
0: I actually think um, Knox McCoy from the Popcast Greenlit Address Book, because I think we sent it to him as a shelf sub one month or as your shelf sub. And he wound up loving it too, which I think goes to your point that like a wide range of readers really could enjoy this one.
2: Yes. Do you learn anything about your address? My address? Yeah. Uh No. It's more like systems. It's more like, you know, who gets an address and who doesn't. So like the slums of Calcutta don't have addresses. And then that means they can't get, you know, various paperwork because they don't have anywhere to send it to. That sort of thing, like a systematic uh, issue with an address, not like my particular address. I I almost just said my address.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. Um, Olivia, have you gotten to that episode of Gilmore Girls yet where they talk about sores and boils alley? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: it's about that too. No. And that is what it's about. <laughs> it's about all kinds of crazy, uh, crazy address street names and stuff too.
0: Yeah, Olivia, no. when you get there, you're going to love that reference. You're going to be, so <laughs> 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 when you watch that part, you're going to be so excited.
2: You're going to think that's what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh.
0: okay Olivia what's your number four
2: okay my
1: number four I cheated just a little bit but it's the March <laughs> series by John Lewis so technically it is three books but they're all connected like it's a series
0: yeah. so I it. We'll, we'll give it a pass
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just so well done and it has been something that like I've continuously thought about since I finished them Um, And that's why it made it into my top five. But this was it was written by John Lewis. And there was an illustrator and another person that I cannot remember. And I'm so sorry. But it starts with these two kids uh, going to meet him while he was a congressman and right before uh, President Obama's inauguration. And he starts to kind of tell them like how he got started and and describes like the students nonviolent coordinating committee that he was a part of. And then you go through these three books and you see this history, but it keeps flipping back and forth between Obama's inauguration and then all these hardships that he's faced. So it's kind of like how we got to where we were at that moment in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just so well done. I mean, it goes through his his rides with the Freedom Riders, um, the March on Washington, and it, lists, it goes through his whole speech. Um, I think he spoke after MLK during that. And then it goes through how they got registered black citizens in Alabama and Mississippi to vote and all the way up to the March on Selma and the passing of the voters right act. But it was so well done. And I will warn you that like, it does not shy away from violence, but that's almost one of the reasons why I really enjoyed it because you have to see that part to appreciate the The back and forth between the inauguration of President Obama and everything that he faced beforehand. Um, It was just so well done. And the illustrations are beautiful.
0: The illustrations are beautiful. Did you guys see, after John Lewis passed away, the footage, and you may have seen it before, but the footage of him like leading the march inside this, I think it was like a literary conference or something, and he had dressed up as himself as a kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so good. (laughs) It was so good. He had dressed up as himself when he marched on Selma, I believe, and it was so touching. The video footage is remarkable. I loved it so much.
1: Well, and throughout the graphic novels, you really start to realize just how humble he is and like Mm -hmm. that he was such a large part of this movement, but I don't think he ever really acknowledged that he was such a huge part of it. Like he was always talking about looking up towards everybody else above him and who was working harder or just as hard really. But that was, it was just so well done. It was so beautiful. Highly recommended. <laughs>
0: What did the three, do you know, did the three come out all at once? It's a trilogy. And did they each come out every year or did they all come out at once? Do you know? I'm not sure. I feel like they all came out at once if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'd have to look it up. Okay. My fourth one is uh, nonfiction. It is called House Lessons by Erica Bauermeister. I had no idea what to expect of this book. And I only picked it up because one of our long distance customers and podcast listeners recommended it. So shout out to Lori Johnson for putting this one on my radar. And I think she put it on my radar because I moved this time last year, which was a dumb, crazy thing to do. <laughs> uh, and I am very glad that we're not doing it this holiday season. But I picked it up on her recommendation. It is a memoir by Erica Bauermeister, who has written other fiction titles, but this is the only one by her I've read, where she looks back on kind of renovating and restoring this old home that she and her husband bought out on the Pacific West Coast, in the Pacific Northwest. And I thought that it would just be this book kind of about Yeah, renovating and restoring a home, which is interesting to me, although not something I am at all capable of. Instead, what I found it to be was a really beautiful look at art and architecture and design. And the roles they play in our lives and in our families and in our homes. I also found it to be a really sweet reflection on family and home life at a time when a lot of us are spending a lot more time at home and a lot more time with our immediate families and partners. And I found it to be really touching and insightful. And I learned a lot. So I think part of the reason this wound up making its way into my top five, other than the fact that it's just beautifully written and I truly did love it, is that I got to talk to Erica Bauermeister. And sometimes when you speak with an author, it just gives you more insight, I guess, into their writing and why the book uh, turned out the way it did. And anyway, one of the ways she describes House Lessons is that it's a book for liberal arts majors. Like she really did not just make it a memoir, but really incorporated a lot of research about geography and architecture and art. And that's one of the things I loved about it. And so when she described it that way, I immediately was like, yes, that's why I loved this book so much, because it covers such a wide range of interests. And I think if you're like me and you do have a love of liberal arts and you kind of find yourself in a lot of different pieces, parts of things, I think you'll really like this book. It was a departure for me in that I typically am drawn to more fiction than nonfiction. But the way she writes, I found incredibly meaningful. And I really loved this book. And I think I especially loved reading it in 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic when I was learning to value where we live. So it is called House Lessons by Erica Bauermeister.
2: That book has been on my please buy for me lists for my birthday and for Christmas. <laughs> and I feel like people don't want to buy me books right now, but it's like, yeah. you know, as a bookseller, you have access to so many free books that it really yes. has to be a special book
0: that you want to
2: own, purchase
0: and own. Yes. Um, yes. And people forget that just because you're a bookseller doesn't mean you don't want Books and a book that's not just an ARC, although those are lovely. Like, yes. but like, like not a book that you actually, yeah, a book that you actually though own. I don't know the hardback version of. And Lucy, I really do think you would like this book. It's I so know. good.
2: I know. I know. That's why I'm asking for it. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) PS, you guys, the last podcast we recorded, do you remember I was like, I'm going to tell you what I'm buying for my dad for Christmas, because he never listens to the podcast. Like, (laughs) the day after it released, he was like, so I listened to your podcast. And I was like, "Uh, uh, what? But he was so I was trying to gauge if he had heard that part. And he, he through conversation, I came to learn that he had only listened to my first book review. And he hadn't stayed for the round robin. (laughs) And I was
0: like, okay. (laughs) I know. I'll take it so that you can still surprise him for Christmas, I guess. That's right. Yeah, so it's fine. Oh, man. Anyway, it was stressful. Stressful moment. Um, Look, sometimes the podcasts aren't for everyone. It's fine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so my next book, my third book, um, is Cuyahoga by Pete Beatty. and. I just, through the course of working at this store, I've been like, why do I like the books that I like? They, I almost <laughs> feel like there's no rhyme or reason. Um, but I have come to find that I really like a strong point of view linguistically, like a really strong style. Um, usually one I would call beautiful, I wouldn't call this beautiful, but it has such an interesting point of view, like as, as far as the writing goes. Um, it is kind of a tall tale, um, origin story, kind of a Johnny Appleseed kind of thing, (laughs) but it's about (laughs) Ohio city and Cleveland who are, um, they're two neighboring cities divided by the Cuyahoga river. And eh, I don't know, I, in reading reviews of it, you hear people toss out the word Faulkner. You heard, <laughs> hear people toss out, um, Wes Anderson. It's like very Cohen brothers. It's very, um, witty. It's, it's hard to explain. Um, I sent it out as a shelf sub, wondering if people would like it as much as I did. And a couple people responded to me and said they really, really did. And that made me so happy. Um, so I I am from Cleveland. And so I have that connection, but it's uh, just worth your time regardless. And especially right now, if you want something that's You're going to get swept away in, and that's going to make you laugh. Um, I did laugh out loud a number of times reading this book. So, and the rest of the time I had a little smile on my face. So, um, (laughs) I would highly recommend Cuyahoga by Pete Beatty. I would spell it for you, but you'll, you know, uh, we'll, I don't know, we'll post this. It'll be in the the show notes. Yeah,
0: it'll be in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so you can know. Because Olivia and I, it took us a long time because you're not in store. Right. And so we were like, how do we pronounce this book? Because Lucy, we have sold quite a few copies. Olivia just said the other day, she was like, "We have yeah. sold a remarkable number." Of it's not
2: on any of the like best books of the year list or anything like that. Yeah. It's kind of a little like a low profile.
0: Yeah, a little gem.
1: Which is why I know it's it's you who's selling it. <laughs> yes. yes, as we right. know, we're like, like Lucy man, Lucy's sold a great book. job with this book
2: <laughs> from afar <laughs>
0: <know>. via email. <laughs> Olivia, what's your book number
1: three? Um, My book number three is Piranesi by Susanna Mm -hmm. Clarke. I don't think I ever do a great job explaining this story, but it's just so beautiful. And I think it's uh, for fans of like Circe and Song of Achilles, um, anyone who liked Madeline Miller will love this. Uh, But it's also kind of an ode to like the Minotaur myth. Um, But Piranesi, he is a man who lives in this labyrinth And you kind of get the feeling right at the very beginning that like he's lost track of time sort of as how long he's been there. He started naming his own years just by significant events that happened that year. Like I think the year that they're currently focused on, I wish I had grabbed the book, but I did not. Um, it was called the year the albatross arrived or something similar to that because an albatross arrived in his labyrinth. Um, (laughs) but it's this. Labyrinth that's made of like corridors and hallways and ballrooms that are like this classic Victorian style and filled with like thousands of statues that Paranisi has like learned to kind of read and, and fortune tell through the shadows and the statues and, and everything. And then there's also this ocean in it that has this, these tides that like fill up corridors And Paranisi has also learned to like time the tides and, He's really just like mapped out this labyrinth and he loves it so much. And you feel that through him, but then he starts to talk about how there's this other man there and he just calls him other and they have a meeting twice a week. Um, And he'll bring Paranisi things that he needs. Like he brought him a sleeping bag and if he needs new clothes or whatnot, but then you, you start to realize that they're, maybe a third person in this labyrinth and piranisi starts to seek out this third person which is not advised by other but (laughs) 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 but he feels the need to um just because he's starting he wants answers um and i'm not gonna go much further than that because it truly like i don't want to spoil the end for anyone but it's just like this labyrinth is like this little utopia and it's only this utopia because piranissi loves it so much and you're seeing it through his eyes but it's one of those that's like i wish i could be in that labyrinth and like experience that that place that he lived and oh it was just so good it was i i think it's up there because it kind of like took me out of 2020
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. i love to hear olivia
0: describe the plot of a fantasy book I do too. I it. I do too. Especially like I feel like there are mornings. I'll be interested to see what the rest of your top two are because I feel like there have been days where I've come into the bookstore and she's been like, Don't you want to know what I read yesterday? <laughs> yes, I do. Please tell me. I don't think you'll be surprised with the next two then. <laughs> Uh, okay. mine number three is also nonfiction, um, as was house lessons. So the third book is nobody will tell you this, but me by best call, but it's the book I took the quote from at the top of the episode. I adored this book so deeply. I do not know why. Uh, and I, but I don't think I'm alone, but 2020, because I feel like we have been grieving so much, it has weirdly been a year in which I have felt reminded of past grief. So, I have thought a lot this year about my grandparents. Uh, I have thought a lot about the people I have loved who have gone on before. And I picked this book up on a total whim. I think I even missed the publication date. Like I have the ARC, but like didn't read the ARC before the book itself came out. And I was reading it by the pool and read it, I think in one or two sittings and just sobbed over it. It is So original and creative. Bess Kalb is a comedian. I think she writes or used to write for The Jimmy Kimmel Show. But she has written this memoir about her grandmother, but she is telling it from her grandmother's perspective, which I just thought was so innovative and interesting. And I'd never read anything like it before. That is true. Like, I feel like I've read fiction that might be similar, but this is really the story of her grandmother, but told in her grandmother's voice by her. And because of that, you can see what an intimate lovely relationship the two of them had. And as someone who was very close to my grandparents, I just found this book to be very meaningful. But one minute I was sobbing, like toward the end, like I just was absolutely overcome. But I also was laughing out loud because her grandmother is so funny and speaks like some of our own grandmothers would. And what I really loved is that uh, Bess Kolb's grandmother is a kind of New Yorker... Uh, lived in South Florida, I think for the latter part of her life, Jewish woman. And so very different from my Southern grandmothers. And yet some of the things she said were exactly what my own grandmothers said. Um, (laughs) I was remembering that my, we had, I had, Brown bridesmaids dresses for my wedding, and when I told my grandmother that they were going to be brown, she like squinched up her little nose. And she was like, mm, "The color of poop." Like, like she, just, <laughs> she, just was not amused. I'm not saying she I don't
2: like it. I'm just yeah. saying
0: it looks like poop. <laughs> yeah. So I, there were moments just like that where Best Cobb was reflecting on her own grandmother's like one liners or things that she would say. The book was also. I mean, it's pretty short, honestly, but it was divided up into sections. So uh, Bess Kolb's grandmother's growing up, then her relationship with her mother, like with Bess Kolb's mother, and then her relationship with Bess herself, which I think is why that last third of the book was so touching, was because it is really about the grandmother-granddaughter relationship I can't recommend this book enough. I think it's great for book clubs. I think it's good if you need to feel something, but also good if you want to laugh. Like I really did laugh a lot while reading this book to the point where I think Jordan was even a little confused because one minute I was laughing and the next minute I was very (laughs) overcome. Um, So I truly loved this book. I think I'll remember it for a long time. It is Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb.
2: Um, I love those experiences where your significant other sees you reading a book and is like, are you okay?
0: Are you, what's <laughs> I think he's learned by now to just like leave me alone for a minute and then it'll be okay. But like... <laughs> I think even weirdly, the Jenna Bush Hager book this year was another one where like we were watching football and I was reading it. And one minute I was laughing to the point where he was like, what is so funny? And then the next minute I was weeping and he was like, are you, are you okay? Like what (laughs) book are you reading right now? It's great. It's (laughs) fine. (laughs)
2: Um, Okay. My number two is Hamnet by Maggie Um, O'Farrell. I just love this one and I don't think I'm alone. Uh, It's a beautiful telling of basically Shakespeare's wife's experience. She grew up like on a farm and then she married him and kind of moved in next to his parents who had had kind of a, they had a complicated relationship. The book paints it that his dad had been like physically abusive of him. And, um, And then he just moves to London and leaves her there with their children. And so it's, it's a story that's mostly about her. I've talked about it before, but um, Maggie O'Farrell never names um, William Shakespeare. She calls, she usually says the husband or the father or him. Um, He's a minor character in the book, but the, I will just say if there's some grief around loss of child. And so that might be something that if, um, you're sensitive to that, you might want to avoid this book, but it's um this beautiful look at how um their one of their twins, whose name was Hamnet, um passed away of the plague. And after that, Shakespeare wrote the wrote Hamlet, which apparently was interchangeable with the name Hamlet. Um but doesn't have that fun hamnet connotation, like, (laughs) like I see, because I'm the wife of a butcher. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so, and it's this kind of complicated, like, you know, the wife is wondering why he used that name in his um, play. And especially because, you know, she's, she's sensitive about him not having been there. And so, um, just really, really, really beautiful, beautifully written, um, a touching meditation on grief and loss and femininity and marriage and, um, you know, old timey England. So I, I very much, very much recommend this. This is my number two book of the year.
0: That is on my list. I, and I hope I can read, I'd love to read it before the end of the year, just because I'm afraid if I don't, I won't get to it in 2021. Mm. Um, but I think I would really like it. I've you, and then a couple other customers just have adored it. And so I think I would really like it. I think you would I too.
1: Say, I feel like whenever a customer like bought that and then comes back, they just rave about it. Yeah. Every time. they do.
0: Olivia, what's your book? Number two. Well,
1: my book number 2 is actually 3.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you you little sticker, you got 14 onto your
2: list of sorry, you got 8 onto your list of 5. Look at me. No, <laughs> it's actually
1: the book is called 3.
2: <laughs> oh, 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 Okay. But you still did cuz you did the march. march yeah, she did.
1: I still did kind of cheat. And
2: but the that book was is really- called 3. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Um, so three, <laughs> three is, uh, by Author D a Mishani who is, he's, I believe he's Israeli. Um, and it was, this book was translated from Israel to here, but it is, it's one of those I sent out for shelf subscription and I sent it with a little disclaimer saying, this is dark. I know it's dark, but please just trust me. Um, it's written in three parts, as you may have guessed. The first part is the only part I'm going to talk about because the rest of it just spoils it. But I think Annie, pop, probably Lucy, but also the entire staff has heard me go through this entire <laughs> plot like several <laughs> times. Because <laughs> um, it's just so mind blowing. But it starts with this woman, Orna, um, who is recently divorced and she's taking care of his son, her son, Aaron who really like after his father divorced Orna, he has not seen him for quite some time enough to put him in into therapy, really, uh, because he's just shy and he's become somewhat of a recluse. But Orna is trying to move forward. So she starts dating and she meets this guy, Gil. And then all of a sudden her ex-husband is coming back and wants to take Aaron away on this vacation with his other his new family now that he has like four other kids with so like it's it's a pretty big deal um and you just you start to really feel for Orna and her whole situation and and the writing just makes you you really love her and then you you get this hope because she's seeing this guy Gil and he seems so nice and everything he's saying is perfect and is correct and it's what she needs But you still have this feeling that something's off, that it's not right. Um, And then you get to part two, and it's a whole other woman. And then you're like, "Mm, I probably shouldn't read part three, because this has already been really dark. But don't stop. (laughs) Because part three is not what you think it is. It's so well done. It was so good. And it's just... I cannot stop thinking of that ending. And like, it's one of those books where like, I kind of wish other people had read it with me just so that we could sit there and talk through the whole thing, which is probably why I went and told the staff the entire plot (laughs) of the book. Cause I was just like, can we talk about
2: this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Highly recommended. And it's short. Like you're going to fly through it in one sitting, mostly because if you stop, you, I don't, it would be much harder to pick it back up but it's so
0: good. Yeah, it sounds so good. I you did, you have talked about this one so much. I was like surely this is going to be in her top 5 somewhere. Yeah. Uh because I do feel like I know the plot of this book and yet I I'm still curious about it. Like I would like to read it. And you got positive feedback from shelf subscribers I feel like about this one.
1: I did, and I was real nervous. <laughs> I was really yeah. nervous sending this out. Um because yeah. it is it, it is dark in his essence, but it's so good.
2: Well, you know, it wasn't about incest, and I sent one, <laughs> one out that was about
0: incest, and I also got some positive feedback. I had that <laughs> one <how>, for me. <laughs> isn't that funny? Like, I sent out The Harpy this year, and that was my book that I was super nervous about. And now, who knows? But the only people I've heard back from about it loved it and were really glad I sent it out, which is more than I can say for the. Time I sent out fire sermon,
2: so <laughs> <I feel>
1: like- <laughs> you know you're I've got a I'm really r- good group of shelf
2: subscribers right now. <laughs> we do, but you always say just like you got to send out whatever was your favorite this month. Yes,
0: yeah, you know? that's the that's the service. It's what is our favorite book. Okay. My number two, I also don't think will be too much of a surprise, is The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett. I am all in on Brit Bennett now. I will read whatever she writes. I adored her first book called The Mothers, and then I enjoyed The Vanishing Half equally as much. The Vanishing Half was everywhere. So I feel like this will not come as a surprise. Many people will have already read it. But if you haven't, let me implore you to try it. I have mentioned it now on several podcast episodes. But if you are unfamiliar, it is the story of twin sisters who grew up in this really unique little community in Louisiana, where they're kind of safe and nurtured and loved. Um, But then as teenagers are want to do. They really decide they need to go out on their own and they leave together, but they wind up splitting apart. And one of the twins decides to live her life as a black woman and one decides to live her life as a white woman. And so the book kind of follows both of these sisters and how that decision changes their lives and changes their relationship. There is, there are also a lot of side characters who have equal Heft and weight and depth in this book. And I think that's one of the reasons I like it. It starts out as this story about twin sisters, but then it really becomes about the family and friends who surround those women. And I think Britt Bennett does a really good job of that. Even in the mothers, it's a lot about familial relationships. And in the book, in the case of the mothers, church relationships. And so I loved how that sensibility, even though this book is very different, that sensibility kind of remains the same. And so I loved those side characters. I loved the roles that they played. And the writing is just fantastic. I just feel like Britt Bennett weaves a story unlike almost any modern author I know, perhaps with the exception of the author of my number one book. <laughs> so uh I adored this one and I really do recommend it for folks who maybe like literary fiction, but also are sometimes overwhelmed by it. I do find Brit Bennett to be a really accessible author too. Like I think she is as commercially successful as she is critically successful, which is pretty rare. And I think in the book community. And so if you have been on the fence or if you have been unsure, I do think this one is really accessible. And, uh, I also think this has always, already been purchased by HBO in terms of film rights, and so if you're the kind of person who likes to read books before they become adapted into something else, you might want to go ahead and read it. So, I loved this book. It was very close to being my number one book of the year. Uh, it is The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett.
2: Okay, my number one. It's Paris. I feel Troika. like there should in be
0: a, <laughs> I knew <laughs> it. I, I felt like there should be a drum roll. Yes. <laughs> Like,
1: can, can tech guys add in some sort of sound?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dylan, can you add in some drums
2: please? It is. It's Paris Dragon Paris by James Um As we are recording this, people don't know that they're getting it in, I guess, right. soon. Um Yeah. For their shelf subscription, but once the podcast comes out, they'll know and they'll love That's it. That's right. Um, just a beautiful book. It's um it's the story of a racehorse uh outside of Paris who is a very curious filly, and she finds that her um door to her stall is open one day and unlocked, and she decides to go exploring and she makes her way. Um, into Paris and finds a dog who was the dog of a street busker and homeless man who passed away and they become friends. I mean, come on, come on. (laughs) Does that not sound so cute?
1: Um, I like the description of a curious filly. (laughs) <laughs> That's what
2: it's like, a, it's a direct quote. That's what they say. That's what she <laughs> says. She's a curious story. Um And anyway, I don't know if I described um, the other part of it, but eventually you do get human characters. There's a young boy who's like eight years old living with his great grandmother who's like very, very, very old. Um, And everybody in between that might have looked after him has died somehow. So she's looking after him, but really he's looking after her. um, And she's like blind and deaf. And um, this little boy eventually also becomes friends with all the animals. There's also rats and a raven and some other animals, uh, some ducks that are involved. And, um, And he ends up like, taking the horse into his old house and the grandmother great grandmother doesn't even can't tell that the horse (laughs) is in there because she's she's blind and deaf and so he like they find a way to like get food and survive and it's just beautiful so well written it'll take you out of yourself it's perfect for the holiday season I loved it I loved it I want to buy it for everybody
0: you describing this book is like, I don't know if you guys have seen, I hope that you have seen Sleepless in Seattle and Rita Wilson is describing an affair to remember to, um, <laughs> to Tom Hanks <laughs> and Victor Garber. <laughs> and that is exactly Lucy describing this book. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, what is your drum roll, please. Number one book.
1: Okay. No one's going to be shocked by this. (laughs) My number one is House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. Ah. I just, I think it's perfect for 2020. I think it has just the right message. Granted, I read it like in April when I feel like 2020 was feeling really heavy at the moment. Um, (laughs) And this was really helpful, but this is about uh, a man named Linus Baker, who is a caseworker, uh, he takes care of magical uh, orphans, and he goes to different orphanages to make sure that they're being taken care of. Um, and he's very, like, when you meet him, he's very by the book. So he also has a cat named Calliope, which I just really liked. But he gets sent on this special assignment to go to this house in the Cerulean Sea, like on the top of this cliff, very secluded, um, that just has a house. It's just this group of misfits. Um, these kids who they were deemed too dangerous to be around any other kid, but they're also the majority of them are like the last or only of their kind. Um, So just for example, you have like Talia, who's a female gnome and you have Sal who's a werewolf, but uh, when he's scared, he turns into a Pomeranian. He's like the only known werewolf where like, if he bites someone, they will turn into a werewolf. It's like a whole thing. And then there's like Chossie who they don't actually know what he is. He's just this like green blob. Um, but like all he ever wants to be in the world is a bellhop and he loves shiny things. So like when Linus gets there and he takes care of his bags, like he pays him by sh- with shiny buttons and Chaucy just loves it. But then you also have Lucy <laughs> who is um, the antichrist. Like, uh,
2: the i literal- feel like <laughs> i wasn't told her name before
1: right now he's right, right. also a boy um uh, okay. or oh. as you may have guessed lucifer lucifer,
0: lucifer. <laughs> all
1: right yeah, okay. but they call him lucy and like he has these like terrible nightmares at night but like and all of his thoughts are around these like demonic things but then at his core, he's a good person. Like, and he's trying to be good. He doesn't want to be the antichrist. Um, but it's just the story of like found family and just figuring out that like home doesn't have to be with people you don't want it to be. It can be with like the people you choose. It was so beautiful. The way he writes is just so well done. Um, it's like this little mix of like magical realism and like a little bit of self-help thrown in there. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. I I can't recommend it. The cover is beautiful.
0: Yeah, it is great. I think that what I should walk away from talking to Olivia about this book, I should walk away thinking about, the antichrist named lucy but instead i (laughs) forever think about uh the blob who wants to be a bellhop i think about that all the time (laughs) that was delightful (laughs) it's such a lovely little detail that i truly cannot unthink like i think i truly do think about it all the time wonder what's happening with that bellhop
1: (laughs) i'm sure he became one
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, my number one book is Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was such a tough call between Vanishing Half and Transcendent Kingdom, but – I think the reason I wanted to pick Transcendent Kingdom for my number one is because of the character of Gifty. So Transcendent Kingdom is definitely a departure from Yagyasi's first book, which I also loved called Homegoing. I have said that Homegoing goes big, like it's this sweeping kind of epic, multi-generational story where Transcendent Kingdom goes small. And I think that's brilliant. And it shows that Yasi can do it all. Like... The way she wrote Homegoing was incredible, but also the way she centers on one family during probably a decade of time is so brilliant. And Gifty reminds me a little bit of Maeve from The Dutch House, who is still a character I think about a lot. Gifty, to me, falls in that category. Very rarely in adulthood have I fallen in love with a protagonist. Normally, I fall in love with a plot or with the feeling a book leaves me with or whatever but in this case, I fell in love with Gifty. She is a neuroscientist. She works at in a lab out in California, but she grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, the daughter of immigrants. They moved over to America and she had to grow up in Alabama, which I find fascinating. And then Yagyasi actually did grow up in Huntsville, Alabama. And so I think there's some autobiographical stuff there. But Gifty grows up in a really close relationship with her brother. And her brother, this is no spoilers, but her brother winds up becoming addicted to drugs. And so that's part of the reason she becomes a neuroscientist and studies the brain is because she wants to know what happens to an addict's brain and why are they addicted. And in the middle of all this, one of my favorite themes I find in literature is when we talk about faith and doubt and Gifty was raised Evangelical Christian. She grows up in church. She grows up going to church. But as she gets older... And loves science and falls in love with the sciences. She's she has trouble reconciling what she has learned in church with what she learns in science, and it's her grappling with that. And I love that. I love reading about that. I love when somebody handles that with grace. With when an author handles that with grace. And I just I just loved Gifty, and I loved um, her relationship with her brother. Really was beautifully profound to me. And then also her relationship with herself and trying to figure out who and what she believes and why. And I adored this book. I can't stop talking about it. It's, uh, if we're talking about beautiful covers, this is certainly one of the beautiful covers of the year. Although as booksellers, it is also a cover that tends to get dirty, which is a weird <laughs> thing to know. Um, <laughs> but I feel like it's got this like, I don't even know what is, it's just a paper cover. It's not matte or anything. It's just
1: no it just.
0: Yeah. Thick. Yeah. Thick textured paper It's gorgeous, but it is hard to keep clean as only a bookseller would know unpacking boxes and wondering why does this pink look gray? But (laughs) highly recommend. I think it is a fantastic book for both the the themes that Yagyasi is addressing, but also through the characters in which she chooses to address them. Um, I really loved this one. So Transcendent Kingdom by Yagyasi. We did it.
2: Woohoo!
0: <laughs> Almost an hour. <laughs> Almost an hour later. Those are our top 5 books of the year, top 15, I guess as the case may be. I did want to say while you all were reading out your descriptions and t- telling us why you love the books, I if anybody ever wondered about shelf subscriptions and what each of us typically leans toward. I think this is actually a great podcast episode to reference Mm -hmm. because not only did we reference some of our own subscription choices, but I think you can get a real sense of what we read and why we read. And so it was really fun to get to hear your picks. And I also think this will be a good episode to reference to folks who are either buying a shelf subscription uh, post holidays or maybe gifted it, but weren't sure what their family member or friend would which staffer they would pick. I think this is a good place to go to decide. Thank you guys so much. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at Tville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at FromTheFrontPorchPodcast.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading Diana, Her True Story in Her Own Words by Andrew Morton. Someone's been binging The Crown. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Lucy, what are you reading this week?
2: I'm reading The Kitchen Front by Jennifer Ryan. It's one of our pre orders. Yes.
0: Do you like it? So far, yes. Okay. It sounds so good to me. Olivia, what are you reading this week?
1: I'm reading We Could Be Heroes by Mike Chen, and coming out end of January.
0: All I can think now is that great scene in Moulin Rouge where Ewan McGregor is singing, We Could Be Heroes, Mm. just for one night. Oh, I've got chills just thinking about it. (laughs) What a (laughs) reference that was. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly shelf life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic and receive free media mail shipping on all your online book orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.